Acts together, looking at the idea of Christian preaching. And uh, maybe that would be something you think we should only be sharing with pastors, but you all get to hear it at least once a week, and maybe more so if you are on podcast, the web, or listen to radio. But the, today I think we might all agree that we live in a day where truth is less about what God has said and more about what we feel and what we experience than maybe any other time in human history. In fact, even in the church today, in our world today, the church is becoming a place that is labeled as being hateful, unaccepting, and unforgiving. And I fear there may be a day, I hope it's far down the road, and I hope I'm wrong, where it will be against the law to preach the truths in the Bible as we know them today. I hope that if I'm right, that it's not in my lifetime, and it's not in my kids' lifetime, I hope it's way down the road. But we're going to look for a few minutes together at at what many scholars believe is the first Christian message preached in the first church service in the history of the world. Now, certainly before this time, Jesus had preached. So it wasn't the first sermon ever delivered. But a lot of scholars believe that this passage in Acts chapter 2 is the first Christian sermon delivered in the first established becoming Christian church ever. It's always good to go back to the first, I believe, the first accounts in the Bible of creation, the first accounts of the family, the first accounts of, in our case, Christian preaching. And we're going to look at a few ideas of what we see there, what I think our hearts all want to hear in good Christian preaching, and what is truth as defined by the first Christian message that we saw there. So uh, if you haven't already, turn to Acts chapter 2. It'll be up on the screen, but Brother Ted's going to read for us those passages. I'm reading from 36 through through 47. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off from the Lord, our God, for for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, 
praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Doesn't that sound like a beautiful time to be a believer? Doesn't it sound like people were filled with their first love and excited about Jesus and excited about their community together and excited about meeting the needs of those around us? It's like when you first fall in love. You can't be separated from the one that you love, and every thought you have is filled with them, and whenever you're not with them, you're thinking about them, and and you just you're you're just never happy unless you're together. And that was the early church. There was something about that dynamic that they just had to be together. They wanted to live life together. They wanted to live ministry together in the context of a culture and a community and a family, and it is one of the most beautiful pictures of any kind of human interaction in the history of the world. That God could take these people from different countries, from different backgrounds, from different religions, different ethnicities, and draw them all together in one place under one God, under one purpose. And I was reading that, and I preached that passage on the marks of a, of a, of a, of a healthy church. And you saw all those there. They, they eat together. And we do that at First Friends, don't we? We eat together. And I want to encourage you that aren't able to make it to some of our meals together. You're missing out on fellowship and on friendship and on mission, and even on ministry. So I encourage you to be a part of that. And, and there's, there's the sacraments they're sharing together as a part of their life and experience. They're sharing an expression of doctrine and what God does and what he means to us. They're sharing in the fact that the community around them is needy. And whatever they had, however large or small their possessions were, God had called them not to get more, but to give it away in order to be a blessing to those around them. It's, it's, it's just mind-boggling what God was able to do in that family, in that place with those people in that day. And the reason that that was able to happen was, at least one of the reasons was, the sermons that were preached to them, what was contained in those messages and what God was able to do through them. And so instead of just talking, which we've done before about the signs of the result of good preaching, we're going to step back and look at what good preaching should involve in order that God could bring us closer to the ideal kind of community, family, and living that we, I believe, God wants to call us to. How many of you ever watched um, televangelists? Any of you too guilty to raise your hand? <laughs> I wondered about that. I was like, someone may not want to be known. I I don't usually get the chance to watch a whole lot of TV, but I every once in a while, and honestly for the entertainment value, have turned them on occasionally. And, and I should be careful here. There are some um, preachers that are on that are good. There are some, I mean, if you know what you're looking and you've researched them and you know about them, there, there are some really rich places for us to go for wisdom and for truth. But most of the ones that you can find on mainstream uh, there are some issues that I would have with them. And I think that you would, might agree with me that the things we're going to talk about that are involved in good early church basic stuff are lacking in many of the televangelist messages that we see. And I hope 
this would not be the case. I hope that these are found to some degree in every Christian church throughout the world as a foundation of the kind of proclamation that God would want his churches to have, and these should be standard things that we look for in those who share in any kind of public ministry. So there are four ideas that I want us to look at today um, that I see, and there are more, and, and we could spend more time on them than any of us wish to do today, but there are four ideas that we want to share real quickly that are key to the success that God was able to bring out of these messages. And the first thing we see in this passage is that they are scripturally based. Peter, as he opens up and shares this message with them, um, quotes heavily from the Old Testament. Over and over and over again, he's quoting uh, writers like um, King David. He quotes heavily from the book of Joel. And throughout this explanation, throughout this message, it wasn't about how he was going to make everybody feel better about themselves. Uh, There was nothing in here about how much money you could give in order to make yourself feel happy. There's nothing in this message about giving to the ministry, giving to the church in order that God would give you back equally or more so than you would have given. There's no appeal to the pocketbooks. There's no appeal to to our vanity. There was no appeal of any kind except that people would remember the word of God in their life. Now, this was a generation, some of them had been raised in in Jewish thinking, and it was a part of the core of who they were, to know the story of Israel. And if you go back to, to Peter's message and you look about how he, he, he kind of, and Paul does the same thing in his messages, he starts kind of somewhere near the beginning, and he preaches through the story of God's plan for humanity, how he brought life into the world and how he, and how he was with Israel as they escaped Egypt, the Red Sea, and how he delivered them through the wilderness into the promised land. And, and it is a reminder that from the beginning, God has had his hand on our life. Even when we couldn't see it, even when we didn't know it, even when we weren't able to realize it. And even, even now in this place, when they come to the fact that, that Jesus has been crucified, yet still God's hand is with them in order to bring the message of salvation into their life. So the, the, the early sermons were based on the Bible. One of the things that I like to do sometimes is, is I'll, get on, I'll get online and I'll read what other people have written about an idea or a topic, or I'll look at commentaries or, or really old messages of what people have shared, like I'll look at a, a, um, Charles Spurgeon or John Wesley and what they've written on a particular topic just to get another kind of perspective. And, and a lot of what they a lot of their sermons are quoting Scripture. A lot of it is heavily laced with the Bible, and then you can look at some more modern preachers that you can find on the TV or, or online, and a lot of it has nothing to do with the Bible. And I'm not saying that it's bad stuff, but there's so little of what they say is, is rooted in God's truth. It's their opinion, or the opinion of somebody they know or someone they respect and they don't stick to the scriptures. They don't stick to what the Bible says. And most of us know good biblical preaching is called ex- expository preaching or exposition. And that's what we've been doing in the book of Ephesians. We've been going verse, pretty much verse by verse by verse through the whole Bible. And, and I'm not a psychologist. I'm not, a psych- I'm not trained in the, in, in, in the social sciences to be able to approach 
former identity from that kind of a background. I was trained in looking at the Bible to see how God has taught us to form our opinions and our, and our values about ourselves. And the value in preaching is that it should bring us back not to our end of what is right and wrong, not to what the stars say is the right way to behave or the right way to go. Good preaching brings us back to the truth of God, the truth of the word in the scriptures, because as the Bible says, it is the only way to the Father. Jesus said, I truth. I am the way and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And Peter backed up what he said by the prophets of old, that from time memorial until now, this has been God's way. This has been God's plan. This is the way God wants things to work. And can I tell you, the church is under more pressure, maybe now than ever before, to bend from truth to bend from the Bible, to bend from what God has always been teaching because our feelings say there's a different way. All culture says there's a better way, and we've been through this even in our own denomination. And one of the most difficult things that I have have had to hear and to process to work through is that that when, when I preach the truth, I'm being hateful. Anyone ever said that to you that, that your beliefs as a Bible are, are hateful towards other people. And I think you and I know people who, who just need to work on their personality traits some because they say everything in a negative way. And we need to work on our delivery. We need to work on our, our persona and the way that we interact. But, but the fact that God has standards in black and white doesn't mean that he's hateful. It means that he has a plan for us in the way we live and the way we interact with each other and the way he's designed the world to work and operate and to be. And that's not hateful. That's, that's calling us back to the beauty of God's design. And yet the church is getting backed into a dark corner because there's no more, no longer in many places in our world any kind of toleration for truth as God tells it. No, now it's truth how I feel it and how I live it, and how I experience it. But good preaching will always go back to the truth of God's word. The power of the message of the gospel is the only thing that can save, and it will be the only thing that ever can save. So the sermons in the early church were based on the Bible. They were scripturally based, and good preaching is not based on a new book. It's not based on a new movement or a new thought or a new theology. It always goes back to the Bible. In fact, in the Scripture, it says to those reading the Bible to go back to the Bible to make sure that what the preacher is saying is what the Bible actually says. And I don't care how, how good you are as a pastor, how well-respected you are. Your people should always listen to you. Well, they should always listen to your sermon. That's a given, right? But then they should always test it to make sure that it is indeed what the Bible is teaching in every way. So it's scripturally based. Secondly, it was supernaturally blessed. And there's all different kinds of ways that I could talk about it, but we don't have all the time. So what I want to get at is the reaction, the supernatural reaction of the crowd. Good, good biblical preaching will be honored by the Spirit by a supernatural reaction from those who are hearing And he's talking about how they're responsible for the death of Jesus, how they are the ones who bear sin in their own life and that 
that they're going to die without spiritually without some kind of deliverer. And it says, in depending on what version you read, that they were cut to the heart. And there's a couple ways you define that in, in that language. One of them is, is that you were literally stabbed through the heart. Now, this is a spiritual explanation of the reaction of the crowd. So spiritually, they were, their consciences were pricked, right? There was, there was an awakening. There was an awareness in, in the people that were receiving the message that, that, oh my gosh, this isn't right. There's something wrong. There's something that God needs to do. There was, there was a supernatural awareness of their own condition. And I was thinking about that uh, in the last day because that's about all the time I had to write the message with our change in schedule, that there's a couple of ways that, that we can look at that. We can look at it as, as God being faithful to show us our heart in order that we could come to a place, and Peter says, this is all so that you would, remember that word repent, right? God's plan for us is so that we could feel these things and then move closer to him. But for those of us in the past who've raised your hands when you say that your own, your, your, you are your own worst enemy, you are your own worst critic, you are the one who points out your faults to yourself quicker than maybe even the devil does, this can be used by the enemy to get us to even draw further away from God. Because we fail to ask the question that led to the response that was able to occur in these people as they felt their consciences pricked, one of the other definitions of this in that language was is their hearts were, were conflicted. The Bible says that we're double-minded. In so many ways, there was a realization that there were two realities going on. There, were, there was mankind's reality in sin, and then there was this message of God's new reality wanting to work out in each and every one of our lives. And so the supernatural occurrence really was the question that resulted from the preaching based on the Bible and that, remember what it was? He read it for us, what should we do? What do we do? We feel this sense, this sense of awareness that we're not right before God. We're not standing before him in the way that he called. We've all sinned, the Bible says, and fallen short of the glory of God, and it's just not enough to have conviction. It's just not enough to hear the word of God and then go on the way we were. James said, it's not enough just to look in the mirror and see yourself the way you are and go out the same way you came in. Like, what do we do to change this? What do we do so that we don't have to live like this anymore? What do we do now? What do we do next? So there was a supernatural blessing in the fact that they heard the message, they allowed it to penetrate their hearts, and then they, and then they asked the right questions. And for them in that place is, what's next? Good preaching should lead people through this discussion of the truth of God, an awareness in their own heart of their own condition, and then lead them to ask the right questions, namely, what do we do next? And so we see, thirdly, this morning, there was a transformational effect as a result of the preaching, the ministry of this early church and these early leaders. Not only was the truth preached, and not only were people affected in a supernatural way, but then something actually happened because of it. 
And the account of the early church is that it wasn't one or two people here and there. It was literally the thousands that heard this message came running to Jesus. And I'm so grateful that the disciples had a really good answer for this really good question. Because some of those preachers that you're hopefully are clicking off of the TV are going to tell you to try harder in order to feel better about yourself. Unfortunately, some of them are going to say, give more so that God can give you more, and then you'll feel all right about yourself. Some are going to be trapped in the legalistic idea of doing more or stopping things in order to make God happy with them. And it's really intriguing as I study this. I've always, I've always thought of, of repentance as what most of us know is is walking one way, being smacked in the face with truth so that God can spin us around and walk the other way. But in the language of this passage, remember, he's talking to people from every different kind of religion under the sun, right? They've, they've come in from all over the world. And remember, the miracle that started all of this was the disciples having the gift of tongues so that they all, all could speak in different languages. This was just an amazing experience of, as a part of this, and God was doing something amazing. And so he's talking to them, as people from every kind of religious background that, that you can have in a place like this. And he's speaking to them at, 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 on a philosophical, an ideological, and a spiritual level. And he's telling them, you know, there's one way to live where you can appease this God and make this God happy by doing this, living life this way, or you can follow Jesus and turn your way of thinking from all of these gods to one and setting your mind and your heart to follow him wherever he would lead you. I've always approached repentance as a behavioral decision. I'm gonna stop doing this in order that I can start doing this. And there's so much more to this passage than just our behavior. It is our ideas, it is our affections, it's our motivations, it's how and who we worship. It's why we live. It's why we breathe. It is all wrapped around our mind and our hearts. What grabs our attention? What is most important to us? Where are we going in our life? It's amazing to me, you know, in this description of great early Christian church experience, there is no fog lights in the worship setting. You know, there wasn't a stage full of instruments. There wasn't, you know, a, a platinum recording artist there to get everyone pepped up by good inspirational singing. There was, it was just simple truth that turned the lives of these people completely around. And there's a lot of good Christian music in our world today. There's a lot of great speakers in our world today. But the only thing that will really and truly change the culture that we live in is the Bible, amen? It is the truth of God applied in each of our hearts, in each of our lives. And it has a transformational effect. So much, though, that this crowd that was full from people from every place under the sun, speaking every language under the sun, said together, in a way, each in their own language that everyone could know, together, what do we do now? And that, that's such an a good question, such an open-ended question, because 
it leaves the person answering the question to say just about anything they want. And the answer for you and I is, is that we align our affections and our ideas centered completely around the one true and only God. Lastly, this morning we see it not only was it scripturally based, supernaturally blessed, and transformational in effect, but it was spiritually powerful. And I think we could have included that in each of those previous ideas. There was such a change in these people that you get down later in the passage in verse 43, and it says that the people around them were in awe of what God was doing. Something about the message of the Bible, the message of Jesus, the message of salvation, the message of holiness, the message of following Jesus completely is it so upends our life that people around us take notice. Not of our good looks if we have them or don't. Not of our money if we have it or we don't. Not necessarily even our talents whether we have them or we don't. Or the people that we know or the influence that we have. It was surrendered around what, the, what God was able to do in their soul. And the way it came out in the way that they lived their daily life. The way they loved each other. The way they ministered to each other. The way they attended to each other and the needs of those around them. And when God says, I'm going to reorient your life You're going to turn from living for yourself. Remember, ideology, all about me. And repenting of that and giving myself completely to Jesus, no longer was it about what I need and what I want and what I have. It was about the mission that God had called me to and the mass crowds of people who are so desperately needy for more of God's love. And so I read this passage over and over again this week and thought about about these ideas, and then, and then the Lord just kind of said, so how is this going to hit you? And this is where it hit me most, is that sometimes it's so easy to jump on the Christian bag wagon, give your heart to Jesus, and, and follow him wherever he would lead you, but when he calls you to be sacrificial, we struggle with that. When he calls us to give up our time for others, that can be difficult. When he calls us to a life of dedicated prayer, uh, we struggle with that. When he calls us to selflessly meet the people, we have so much of our own that it's so easy to hold on to the way we want to live our own life. And I want the world to be in awe of what God is doing at Vancouver First Friends Church, don't you? I want the world around us to take notice of what he's doing in you and what he's doing in me. And so what the Holy Spirit said to my heart this week was, then you need to realign again with my plan. Realign with my purpose and repent from living some of these things for yourself in your own way and go in your own direction so that you can realign yourself with my direction and my mission, and my calling. And so I prayed a prayer this week to the Lord, and it's something that is going to stay on my heart, and I want you to know. And I want you to join me in this prayer, or praying for these things, praying that our prayer services are filled and overflowing. I want you to pray with me that we'll have so many volunteers for our ministries 
that we have to start new ones because of how many people are wanting to be involved. I want you to pray with me that we'll have so many people sharing the message of God's love that will run out of spaces in our pews. That our vision will be so affected by God's call to the harvest fields that we'll think of little else. That we'll be so burdened by the needs of those around us that will start to affect the way we live our daily life right now. Because one thing is clear, when good preaching takes root and good teaching is accepted and the right questions are asked, Jesus changes everything. He changes everything about who we are, the way we think and the way we live and the way we approach life. And this beautiful phrase of that early church was, all those things that I'm praying for at First Friends were happening And it says they all were doing it in one accord together. They were locked in on the mission that God had called them to live, and they were living it. They had little babies in their church. They had, in their day, senior citizens was probably 50 because the average age was just like in the low 30. So it's all relative to time and space and age. But God was calling this family into something that had never happened before in a way that had never happened before, with a kind of commitment that few were ever able to realize and give themselves to and participate in. There was something spiritually powerful going on in the lives of the hearers that day, where Jesus so captured their affections and their attentions and their dreams. There was like those dating years and courting years where you couldn't keep your hand off of them, You couldn't be away from them. There was nothing more that you wanted to do than to do everything that the one you loved was doing. Remember the story I told a couple weeks ago about about the little boy who followed his dad around everywhere? He didn't want to be anywhere that his daddy wasn't. Everywhere that that person they loved went and everything that that person did, they wanted to do. And I just love that picture for you and I, that faithful one who's always there leading us into a deeper life of commitment, leading us into a deeper level of sacrifice, leading us into a stronger appreciation of what the Bible teaches, even though we live in a culture that is desperately threatening everything that we believe in, to stay true to the word of God no matter what it costs. And to remember that the church isn't about this room. It's not about the sanctuary at First Friends Church. It's about the people that gather here to worship God so that what? So that he can send us out to the east, to the north, and to the south, and to the west to be the church in the other people. And it may take some repentance on our part to be reminded of what God is, the big picture of what God is doing in our world and in us. We get so busy and trapped doing our own thing and living our own life that we sometimes get stuck and we forget about the big picture of what God is doing all around us. And yet he still invites us in to be part of the very 
great things he's doing in our world today. We're going to stand and close with a word of prayer. Lord, I just want to reaffirm as pastor of First Friends Church our commitment to the Bible. It's not our place to question what you've said and try to realign it to the way we want it to be or to what someone that we care about wants it to say so they feel better about themselves. Lord, our goal is to be holy like you. Our goal is to follow your word and your life and your death and your sacrifice so that others would see that true joy and true happiness comes being a disciple of the great and true God. Not living in a way that meets their own needs. Lord, we reaffirm ourselves to the truths of God's word and whatever, Lord, the cost may be. We'll be faithful to you as long as you give us the strength. Lord, we long for a day where people hear this truth and ask the right questions. What do I do now? Where do I go now? How do I live now in light of the truth that God's word teaches us? Lord, we long for the transformation to occur in such a way that that not only is our fellowship changed, but our community is changed because of the powerful work that you're doing in each of our lives. This repentance, this turning around from living for ourselves and our own needs, realigning our vision with the mission of God to change the world around us. And it captures, Lord, our affections in every way, in every part of our life. And we, Lord, praise the church for the power to live spiritually true for you, but that we would have power to share your love with others. Wherever we go, Lord, whoever we meet, that they would know the love and the, and the passion that God has for them to change their life, to turn it upside down, to give them a, a mission and a, and a focus worth living for, not just on this world, but in the earth to come. And we thank you, Lord, for this amazing example thousands of years ago what the Holy Spirit wants to do in each of us as we turn our heart over to you. And Lord, the the specifics of what that looks like will be different for each and every one of us. Lord, help us not to look across the pew or, or across the church to wonder if we should do it the way they're doing it. Help us, Lord, to just be honest with you and sensitive to your voice so that whatever it is you call us to be involved in, whatever it is you call us to say, whatever you call us to reorient in our life, Lord, it wouldn't be about anyone else but you. And we would follow you, Lord, wherever you would call us to go. We would say, Lord, whatever you call us to say, and we'll stay true to you no matter what our world throws at us because we've heard the truth and the truth has set us free. We celebrate, Lord, that today and ask for your blessing upon our lives and our faithfulness, Lord. May it bring others to the knowledge of a Savior who loved us so much that he gave his life on the cross so that we could have salvation and everlasting life with you. We'll praise you, Lord, in this day and every day to come. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you this week and may go with you. Uh, I hope that many of you are able to come to some session in Newburgh, and uh, may the Lord go with you this week.